Welcome back to Following Know It on a Stormlight Podcast. This week is episode 85. And let me put it this way. If you have not read the Stormlight Archive and you're just clicking on this podcast to get a sample of what we're like, choose any other episode to sample of what we're like. If you have any interest in reading these books, the biggest spoilers you could ever click on are about to happen in this episode. So please <laughs> click away if you have not read these chapters we're about to talk about. Okay, now that I've got that over with, Paul, how are you? How am I? I don't know. I don't know. Just, Elliot, how are you? Elliot is questioning his entire existence. Ah, yes. We are reading chapters 111 through 113 of Oathbringer this week for episode 85. Paul, who's on our mug before I ask for your two words? Ah, I'm glad you asked. This week we have... Dun, 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 Jacob. Jake, Jacob. It's mirrored on my screen, so I see... Bo, Bocage. But Jacob... Um, Jacob is an ardent. I did my research. He's an ardent, and we're really appreciative of him. On the mug, it says, Earnest Student Loans. I got this at work from a coworker who was giving everyone mugs. I don't know about the company or anything. I'm running out of mugs, I'll be honest. So you have a... <laughs> Mug about earnest student loans. Thank you so much, Jacob, for your support. Thank you. A following note on. Yeah, maybe I'll get some uh, more mugs soon. So we'll see how much longer I can make it. Thank you so much for your your support. Sounds good. Uh, Elliot, do you have two words to summarize episode 85? I have two words. I don't know how good of a job they're going to do at summarizing what... Uh what we just learned, but I'm going to go with contentment and morality. Paul? Those are some deep words. For mine, I have betrayal and misconception. All right. Let's use these four words and talk about the end of part four of Oathbringer. All right. All the people who have needed to click away, I hope I've clicked away at this point. Who's going to say it? What did we learn? Who's going to say it? So apparently our humans are not from here? Yes, indeed. If the Ayla Steely from the Dawn Chant is to be trusted... The humans are not from Roshar. The singers are. And with that elephant in the room pointed at, Paul, what are you, what are your two words about? Um, well, my two words. Misconception. I'll talk about that one because that is relevant to this. I chose misconception because I'm guessing it is a great misconception that the Alethi have been the inhabitants of Roshar for all of time, or like the original 
people there, kind of the owners of the land, I guess. Right? That's kind of the assumption. So that's a large misconception, assuming the A-list dealie is accurate. The second word is betrayal, uh, which is due to Teravangian and his undermining of Dalinar. Okay, Elliot? I'll mention morality first. So this whole revelation that the humans are not the natural inhabitants of Roshar. In fact, they are the original Voidbringers, potentially here, puts into question a lot of moral questions that we've been you know, faced with so far. A lot of the reasons for why our characters are doing what they are, we've got to go think about a little bit. And so hence the, the morality of that. My next one was a little more specific. I went with contentment for a specific dialogue between the Stormfather and Dalinar as they're processing this. They talk about Shidavar being the land that was given to the humans to live in. And they, they quickly talk about, well, obviously, humans could not constrain themselves to Shinovar. And they talk about how no man is ever fully content and, and no, no tyrant ever stops wanting more. And I'll talk about it more when we get to that. But what a, what a painfully relatable human sentiment. Good stuff. I have a couple questions for you guys, but I want to talk about the beginning of chapter 111 before our entire world gets turned upside down, because there's some important information here that we don't want to skip over. Last episode, Dalinar figured out, oh, Thalen City is going to be the next target for the for Odium and his forces. Who's in Thalen City right now? At the beginning of this chapter. Before the coalition like shows up. Who's who's been stationed in Thalen City for a while? Amram. Amram and Savius's troops yep. have been sentenced to this is how Amram views it, have been sentenced to manual labor in enemy territory, uh, to show that the Alethi aren't going to conquer the world. Amram thinks the Alethi are going to conquer the world, and this is just a show of, of a show of face of we're trying we're going to help you. He's pretty upset that his men are the ones that had to do this. That I have to go to Thalen City and help rebuild a city because we got nothing better to do, better to do with Sadius's troops. They're troublemakers. Let's get them out of your Thiru. So Amram's kind of upset about that and has kind of been he hasn't been dissuading the Sadius troops of Dalinar didn't kill Sadius. Little does Dalinar know, know that his son Adolin did in fact kill Sadius, and there's proper cause to be upset about that. So, what, what are you guys' thoughts on Amram's initial reaction when Dalinar walks through the Oath Gate? I like I liked it. I liked seeing Dalinar like honestly stand up to Amram because Amram is doing his thing of like I'm so great I can do so much, so much more than you have me here for. And Dalinar's like, You wanna prove how great you are? Just do this like I asked. Like just 
quit whining pretty much Would you like some cheese with that wine like it's just <laughs> kind of mess but i i i way to go down arc i i was a fan of this can I flip the tables here and say I was not impressed with Dalinar in this scene, actually? We uh, we talked last episode, Paul, of, of I was kind of backing Dalinar a little bit and, and you were kind of getting on his case. And now we're going to flip that on on its head. In this scene with Dalinar and Amaram, I actually don't think Dalinar handled this super well. Amaram seems like he is potentially actively undermining Dalinar. Which, not surprised, right? It's it's Amram. We should see this coming. But when Dalinar kind of puts his foot down and takes a strong, like, you're going to do what you're told because I'm telling you to do it, that's a dangerous path, I think, because it might spark even more active resistance from Amram. The, the comparison I want to draw is actually to Star Wars. So shout out to one of the most epic sci-fi series of all time, Star Wars, one of the recent-ish Star Wars films, The Last Jedi, actually has a leadership moment in it that really bothers me. It's probably the thing about that movie that bothers me the most. And there's a lot of polarizing opinions out there about Last Jedi. We're not a Star Wars podcast, so we're not going to get into all of that. But one of the biggest things about The Last Jedi that bothers me is a leader shows up in that movie with the Rebels, and her name is Vice Admiral Holdo. She takes control of the ship, and they're in a, a dire situation. The, the First Order is bearing down on them. They're going to they're gonna kill them all. And Holdo has a plan, but she does not share it with our hero of the story, Poe Dameron. Poe is a very rash, hot-headed, active kind of guy, and he doesn't like that Holdo—he doesn't like her plan. So what does he do? He ends up rebelling against her, trying to take over the ship, causing a lot of problems. All of that— would have been very easily solved if Holdo had just told Poe the plan on at day one. Why she doesn't tell him the plan is my biggest problem with that entire movie. Why in the world she doesn't tell him the plan, I don't know, but it causes problems. Here in Stormlight Archives, Dalinar is not telling Amram the plan. He is not telling Amram, hey, Thalen City is about where the is, is about where the action is going to go down. You're actually right in the middle of it all. You're complaining that we've left you on the fringes, that we've kind of you know outcast you. No, actually, you're going to be in the front lines of the battle starting really soon. Why not tell Amram that? If he did, that might convey to Amram, no, what you're doing is actually important, and it might make Amram feel a little more included, and might give him a reason to actually back Dalinar a little bit here. So. That is my very long-winded comparison to Star Wars to ultimately say, I actually don't like that Dalinar is excluding Amram here. I actually don't think I've given this much thought as much as you did right there, that Dalinar <laughs> just backhands Amram and says, no, your place, I'll talk to you later, bye, and move on with the scene. I, I guess I didn't really give it that much thought. And it may not end up being all that important, but if we are about to have an, a, a siege and an invasion of Thalen City, and Amram's troops are going to be the front line, and Amram is going to be the main, you know, battle general, Dalinar needs to have him as with him as possible. And pushing him away, alienating him here in this moment, 
not a smart move. And I get that it's Amram. I get that he's out of line. Yes, you got to you know stand up for your authority. At the same time, you really need this guy working with you right now. It's true. Uh, I think the only reason I was jumping to jump down on our side there, or the biggest reason, is because it is Amarium. Yes. If it was anyone else, they need to know. But if it's Amarium, honestly, my thought was like, he could be like, no, I don't want to be at risk. Like, I'm going to leave. Or something. But we will see. Anything else you guys want to talk about before we get to the meeting? chapter one small thing i'll actually just mention on the side renarin speaks up and i think we've mentioned this before and I, i've taken this to heart when renarin speaks up it seems like it's wise to listen and because he seems to know things he seems to have his we don't really know a whole lot about his powers but we know he was the source of the countdown of the days to the the last desolation. He knew what was coming, or at least had an inkling. So whenever I see Renarin said in the text, I pause and I'm like, okay, whatever's coming next is going to be important. But what he says here is interesting. He asks about, are there any stashes of large gemstones in the city? They're like asking about, they're, they're talking about like bankers and like small change. And he's like, but are there any large gemstones? And they're like, Oh yeah, there there's some over in that building over there. And Renarin's like, okay, good to know. And then the scene moves on. And if it weren't for what we've learned about Renarin, I probably would have passed right over that. But because Renarin seems to know things, now I'm intrigued. Why does Renarin want to know where the large gemstones are instead of the small ones? That's a good question. I would like to know a lot more about Renarin um, at the moment. He's our surge binder that I feel like I... I mean, I'm most excited to learn from because I don't know fully what he does. And we always get these little quips or moments where he's like, oh, and then runs away. But it was like, we know there's yep. way more to it than just that. And he's not talking. He needs to spill the beans. I... I have a question for you guys about Renarin. Not really about these gemstones that he's asking about, but he's a truth watcher, right? What does he do? He's talked before about like vision and potentially like, it's never said this, but like seeing the future-ish or like kind of seeing what's coming maybe. And he writes on the walls for Dalinar of, you know, 30 days till right. the true desolation or whatever, ever storm comes or whatever he's writing. I want to go back a little bit. Chapter 101, the epigraph for chapter 101. Moloch is very similar to Nergaul, though instead of inspiring battle rage, he supposedly granted visions of the future. In this lore and theology align, seeing the future originates with the unmade, and is from the enemy, from Hesse's Mythica. So are Truth Watchers just misunderstood, or is there some truth to this? What do you guys think? I'm not sure. Paul, Paul you mentioned that Renarin's kind of a little bit of an unknown still. And I, 
I don't feel like we know enough because he doesn't speak up a lot about what his powers are or how he interacts with his spren, how his surges work. I would be very surprised if the surge binder abilities are tied to an unmade, if that's kind of where you're leading with this. That would be pretty shocking to me since they seem to be rather directly opposed, but perhaps. Or is this just a case of has C. Smithica's mistaken in that which one came first, the chicken or the egg? The unmade is replicating the truth watcher as opposed to the truth watcher is getting power from the unmade, right? Could be. I would I am very much craving a Renarin point of view chapter. Oh yeah. Um to, to figure to kind of piece together his perspective on things. I feel like I don't even know if it's a reread of where we where where Trevor even is, but I imagine that all the Renoran moments that we're seeing would be cool reread things like, oh like this is probably what he was thinking about. But I don't know if I don't know if we're gonna find that out soon. That doesn't seem very much on the 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 stove at the moment. I was gonna say pretty back burner. Renarin might know too much for us to be able to get a point of view chapter from him and still be interesting. We might learn a little bit too much about the Storm of the Archive too fast. Yeah. Could be. I already know everything, though. All right. Let's talk about the meeting. Meeting starts in Thalen City. All the monarchs are there. And the trap that Teravantian has set springs. There's three key information leaks that happen within the span of about five minutes. Span, span, read, get it, funny. (laughs) And they are what? I'll let you guys say them. So the first one is we learn that the Everstorm is coming, and it's coming early, which surprises everyone a little bit, but at the same time, they don't know this storm super well, so it's not, like, shocking. But it's it, the Everstorm is hitting the west side of Roshar, and it's coming sooner than it should, which has implications for their fleet that they're trying to assemble, but they think it's going to be okay. They think they're going to get their ships, you know, to safety in time. It shouldn't be a huge problem. But that's only number one. Paul, you dropped the second. So Dalinar was like, oh, that wasn't so bad. Because right before the Stormfather was like, something is coming. And then they're like, oh, the storm, the Everstorm. And he's like, okay, well, we'll work on that. That's no problem. And then the Stormfather's like, that wasn't it. <laughs> and then... Uh, and I, then... I love your Stormfather voice, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> something is coming. And then uh, they find out that the Ayla Steely is uh, translated, right? This, like, ancient text. Um, is, th- is that the second thing? Like, is that mm-hmm. the next yeah. big one? So the Ayla Steely has been translated from the Dawn Chant. For, and it's written by like a dawn singer, right? Like that's the the history of it, supposedly. Yep. Um, and it 
gives an account of before... Let me get my terms right here. Way before the first desolation, right? This right. is the, like, what is it called? The Day of Reclamation? I don't even know. Maybe. I don't, or, I don't remember. I, who knows? Who knows? Way before the first desolation, the first Voidbringer sighting. And it's talking about how they're all... F- they don't have a carapace and stuff, and Dalinar's like, that's weird. Like, Can I, can I read it? Yes, yes, that would be much better. All right, so the big, the second big thing that happens in this chapter, they get a span read from a scholar, and it says this. They came from another world using powers that we have been forbidden to touch, dangerous powers of spren and surges. They destroyed their land and have come to us begging. We took them in as otherworlders. No, we took them in as commanded by the gods. What else could we do? They were a people forlorn, without a home. Our pity destroyed us. For their betrayal extended even to our gods, to our spren, stone, and wind. Beware the otherworlders, the traitors, those with tongues of sweetness, but with minds that lust for blood. Do not take them in. Do not give them succor. Well were they named Voidbringers, for they brought the void. The, en- the empty pit that sucks in emotion. A new god. Their god. These Voidbringers know no songs. They cannot hear Roshar. And where they go, they bring silence. They t- look soft with no shell. But they are hard. They have but one heart. And it cannot ever live. It was pretty intense. I thought back to Way of Kings. I think it was early Way of Kings when we'd heard the the term Voidbringers. And Paul and I are, are over here trying to figure out what is a Voidbringer. And we're throwing out some crazy... Essence. Yeah, we're throwing out some crazy things. Dark shadows and evil beings and stuff. And then, and then we had a big reveal that, oh, Voidbringers are these awakened Parshendi Little did we know, little did we know the true origin of the Voidbringers or those that brought the original destruction onto Roshar were none of that. Instead, they were the humans who are our heroes in the story. Oh, man. Real quick. Did either of you see this coming, this reveal coming? Did did you guess this? Oh no. I I did not like guess it. I was not like oh like yeah I think this is gonna happen. Okay. I, I didn't think that. I will say I I don't know that I was that like shocked about it though. It wasn't like oh my gosh what. Can... I didn't know that I had that form of reaction. So I do want to. I I want to highlight a couple things that point to this. As, as you've been reading. So, what language is this written in? The Dawn Chant. The Dawn Chant. Okay. Does that make more sense now? That we, We've heard that a long time ago, and you just thought, you know, whatever, it's called the Dawn Chant, whatever. Yeah. It's singers, that's their language, the Dawn Chant. Yeah. Two. Let me pull up my notes here. What's an axe sound? A, cr- a crab dog, crab. right? Crab uh-huh. dog? Crab wolf? 
What's a chull? Uh-huh. A crab horse. Crab. A, a crab cow. Crab cow. cow. What's a parchment? A crab man. A crab person. So, uh-huh. Roshar is the crab which, crab which place. Not like right. The other, or whatever it is. Exactly. So, <laughs> you know, the the people are the odd odd thing out on Roshar. Now, one moment. Well, it's getting serious. Oh boy. It's breaking the book out. With this reveal in your minds, I would like to read a couple things. This is from earlier in this book. This is page 534 in my text. And I'm going to read these out of context, see if you guys can place them and figure out what the under text is actually talking about with this revelation. You aren't angry that we conquer you, Leshwi said. No. Then what does anger you? What is your passionate fury, Moash, the man with an ancient singer's name? Yes, it was there, still burning deep down. Storm it. Kaladin had been protecting a murderer. Vengeance, he whispered. Yes, I understand. She looked at him, smiling in what seemed to him a distinctly sinister way. Do you want to know why we fight? Let me tell you. Next one. In that darkness, shadowed figures seemed to accompany him. Armies made of red mist at the corner of his vision, charging forces that fell to dust and sprouted from shadow again, like surging ocean waves in a constant state of disintegration and rebirth. Not just men, but eyeless horses, animals locked in struggle, stifling the life from one another, shadows of death and conflict to propel him through the night. Dalinar dragged Oathbringer behind him. It made a soft scraping sound as it cut in the line of stone. He numbly heard soldiers talking by the bonfire ahead. And one called something out. Dalinar ignored them, each step relentless as he passed into their light. A pair of young soldiers in blue crowded their challenger until cutting off and lowering spears gaping. Stormfather, one of them said, stumbling back. Collect and the Almighty himself. Dalinar continued through the camp, noise stirred at his passing, men crying of visions, of the dead, and of Voidbringers. He made it for his command tent. The eternity it took to get there seemed the same length as the others. How could he cross so many miles in the same time it took to go a few feet? Dalinar shook his head, seeing red at the sides of his vision. Two more. The girl finds steps, Shalon said. And the girl realizes that the wall wasn't to keep something in, but to keep her and her people out. Because? Because we're monsters. You're not a monster, Shalon, Wit whispered. Oh child, the world is monstrous at times, and there are those who would have you believe that you are terrible by association. For you see, it flows the other direction. You are not worse for your association with the world, but it is better for its association with you. And one more, which we read last week. 
What if the lord of the city had stopped paying his taxes, then forced his people to defend the city when higher authorities arrived and attacked? Is it is not a prince justified in maintaining order in his lands? Sometimes it is to kill ordinary people. But that is not what happened here, Zeth said. You said this was caused by an invading army. Yes, Nin said softly. This is the fault of invaders. That is true. I definitely I see the signs as we start to look back. And the the number one of all being the crabs. Like, humans clearly don't fit in this world. And, and that that was that was a sign of hey why why are they even here? The answer that I thought was going to be was well they don't belong out here they belong in Shinovar and they've kind of grown from there and that's kind of the truth but it's not the whole truth as we'll talk about but yeah a lot of those quotes you just read Trevor very different light now. I have to say, I, I think the one, like, by far, the quote that stuck out to me the most was the first one with Leshwi talking with Moash. Mm -hmm. And I still don't fully know how to, like, unpack that. But, like, I don't know. Did Moash know this? I don't. Nobody did then. That's where the scene closes, right where I stopped reading. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then Leshwi. That's the information that Moash gets, in or and then he yeah. goes and trains the Parshman that uh, Kaladin used to know. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. I was only confused by why he had an old singer's name, I guess. But that's why I was like, did he know? Is he like, I don't know. So a question I have coming out of a lot of this is in this revelation, in this description that we get, it says that the invaders brought with them a new god and that this god was an empty pit that sucks in emotion. So I'm stuck here wondering, who was that god? that came with the humans was it honor was it odium i can't really tell to be honest i think this could go a couple different ways because it describes this god as like this empty pit that sucks in emotion when i read that i think of odium and the scenes we've seen with him and the the way we've had you know passion and emotion related to odium. But at the same time, I could also see that applying to honor. If honor is going to take a very strict, like I'm about oaths and upholding oaths and nothing but oaths. There's not a lot of room for emotion in that. Did honor come with the humans to this world that was odiums beforehand? I don't know. I have, I have some thoughts about that for one. The storm. I think it's the Stormfather. Either that or one of our Honor Spren mentioned how Honor was so fond of the humans. Yeah. And two, I can't imagine. Odium seems to be kind of working with 
the Parshendi, right? I can't imagine them doing that if he was the god who came onto the scene, kind of driving the powering force of what got them into this mess initially. Assuming they know that, I guess. So but I can't imagine them being on the same side. There's a couple other candidates that you guys should consider here. The, the two obvious candidates is, is it honor or is it odium? It's not cultivation. And you know that because the Dawn singer who's writing this says they cannot hear Roshar as if Roshar is making rhythms. And we've postulated that that's cultivation in the past, right? So that, that cultivation was already on Roshar at that point. And they knew that they should be able to hear rhythms, but they can't. Um, secondly, what are the what have what have we had referred to as gods before, specifically by the singers? Point Spren entirely, right? Their gods and like the high Spren, maybe more specifically. And what? Okay, let me ask the question this way. What evidence is it is there that the Parshmen were the Voidbringers to the Alethi? That they came bearing surges that the Parshini weren't supposed to use? But no, I'm talking about like in Words of Radiance. When they're, they're fighting the Parshmen, they're assuming they're fighting the Voidbringers. Why? Because they're eyes turn red and they're wielding powers like red lightning and things like that. Yes. Why are their eyes red? Because they've attained a new form, right? The form so of power. They, it's like the corrupted odium spren. Maybe. The Everstorm? No. They're, they glow red before the Everstorm even gets there. Okay. There's an unmade present on the Shattered Plains. The thrill is there, affecting both sides of the conflict. Right. The thrill makes it so you see red in your opponent's eyes, not your own and your allies. So their eyes, the Alethi, when they're affected by the thrill, their eyes are red as well. And they see it in each other, the void bringer. They bring the void with them, the god that sucks in passion. This could be the thrill that we're talking about. That makes sense. See the logic that I'm using there? Yes. And the men back in the camp when Dalinar has just gone on this kill rampage, are not affected by the thrill. They're not in battle right now. Dalinar has just come back from battle. His eyes are red. And the men scream about Void... They just saw a Voidbringer come out of the, the darkness. And it's Dalinar. Comprendo? See. Okay. Have I lost I you guys? You a lot more now than I have previously. Have I, I'm, like, I'm tracking. Trevor okay. said it, so it's not true. But I'm, I'm just making sure I haven't <laughs> lost you guys. Now I trust you. Okay, so it could be honor. 
that the that the god that they're bringing with them. It could be Odium. It could be a Spren. Or or even multiple Spren, perhaps. Maybe maybe the unmade are what came with the humans, like all of them. Right. Interesting. There is this notion of like Odium's champion, right? Who's one of the unmade? Or maybe Maybe. It's like him and the unmade or something. It is a champion with nine shadows. Nine right. presumably meaning the unmade. Because okay. there's nine unmade, you know, whatever. Yeah. It could be that champion. Whatever that entails. This is one I, I feel like every time we have something really big, I'm like, okay, I have like my one or two or maybe three leading theories. Right now I'm like, I I do not know. I do not know who it is. All right. I my my bet my only thought right now is is that it is both honor and odium. Okay. Both honor and odium came. Okay. Let's Put a pin in this real quick, unless you want to keep talking about it, Elliot. Nope. Let's move on. Let's fast forward to present day. This was lost to history even from 4,500 years ago when the Radiants found out found this out. Right? And the, the old Radiants found this out. They abandoned their surges and uh, walked away. This was, this was new information to them at that time, too. So this is a, a really long time removed. How does this affect morally Dalinar's war? Does this change? Does this really change anything? The Voidbringers, Voidbringers, sorry, the Singers and the Fused and Odium are trying to kill them. That's, that's their goal is to wipe them off Roshar and reclaim Roshar. Does that, does the fact that the Parshman the singers were the original beings on Roshar affected their moral battle now. It it has to. It absolutely has to. And I I would say that it does in the sense of the end goal of what you're fighting for here has to change. And I would say that because I wouldn't jump immediately on the bandwagon of humans everywhere need to lay down their arms and just give up. I'm not going down that path. That you're fighting against a an enemy who's trying to wipe you off the face of the earth. That's not necessarily the right way to go here. They they, they should defend themselves, but it it changes from a we're getting invaded by an enemy army. We should fight back with everything we have. It changes from that to, oh, wait, we're the invaders. We don't have a right to fight back with everything we have here. The ultimate goal here should be some sort of a compromise. The end of goal here should now be, oh, crap, we don't have a right to completely subject you Let's find a way to both live here together. Instead of a, how dare you try and take over our world, we're going to squash you to, oh, this is actually your world. You have just as much of a right to it as we do, probably more than us. 
how do we figure this out? So it, it changes from how dare you attack us, we're going to kill you all, to let's figure this out. At least it should, in my mind. Those were my thoughts as well. I was going to say, like, being very, I don't know what the right word is, realistic, pragmatic, I don't know. I feel like none of the words I can think of fit. But in the context of you have been here for thousands of years and you are in a war, right? Yeah, you can't just lay down your arms and be like, oh, we translated this old text that says this is your house not my house we are leaving now like where do you go what do you do like it's just not realistic i think your approach to this changes but honestly i'll just say like i don't know how much it should i mean it it it's really like tough for you as a motivation like you obviously don't want to kill anyone or like honestly do any fighting like i don't know what you do but like where do you go because i i don't think you just like give up yourselves and your lives and your you know everything because of this old thing that's five thousand years old um the the aelostele is even further removed from that it's more like nine thousand yeah. years old that's that's the thing. I mean, yeah, like like it's it's from back there, and it's like, oh shoot, I guess we'll just go back to our world that we have no idea what that world is or where we came from or anything. Like I don't know, I don't know. And how do you do that? You know, like (laughs) just being like realistic. It's like I don't know. I feel like they came and they conquered a long time ago, and it's crazy now. But like, you can't change what happened nine thousand years ago. Um, you and, can try and, to right wrongs now, but like that's you're looking at a big process there. I completely agree, and I'm also thinking, you know, the the lesson coming out of this revelation is things are potentially bigger than you think they are. Don't don't make the wrong assumptions. Or I think Paul, your mis your word was misconception. Is that what you you used to start? I thought that was good. We have, to, we have to even you know, take this lesson and keep applying it. Things are even bigger than we think they are even now. Think of the spren. Think of what we're learning in Shadesmar. Not only is this a, a battle for Roshar in the physical realm, that there's also the cognitive realm to think about. There's also the spren. I'm wondering back to some of our questions. We're still wondering about the relationships that spren have between humans versus the relationships that spren have between singers. And we've gotten some hints, and these are just hints. We need more to formulate this, but it seems like the relationship between a knight radiant and their spren is a very healthy one that benefits both and brings out like new abilities in both the human and the spren. It seems like, need more info, that the relationship between a spren and a singer is not necessarily a healthy one, even potentially an unhealthy one, where the singer is imprisoning that spren like almost like a fabrial does and uses the power of that spren to accomplish what they're doing. So when you put things in kind of that light, there's still more going on here than you than we think about at this stage. Yes, we now need to think about this as singers are not the invaders. It's really humans who are originally the invaders, but there's also 
still more going on here to think about before we, you know, throw out some kind of ultimatum of, oh, the humans have absolutely no ground to stand on. They need to throw down their arms now sort of thing. So it's, yeah, I'm hesitant to draw any quick conclusions. There's one notable exception to that rule that you just made about singers and humans with their spread, and that is who? Benly. Benly with Timber. Benly right. has a storm spren in her gem heart, but she also has Timber. We don't really know what that's about. Yep, for sure. Insert book four here. Ah, ah yes. We still got part five See? to go, but yes. Uh-huh. All right, Paul, before we hit the record button, you said you had the Stormlight Archive figured out. Do you want me to hand it over to you and you can talk for a bit, or do we want to keep going for a little bit? Uh, we need to keep going a little longer, okay. I believe. I actually need to double-check our outline. We do need to keep going. We need to keep going. Okay. I can talk about Shinovar real briefly, if that fits in. Yeah. So we're skipping over Chapter 112. We can come back to it in a, in a moment, but... Another bit of information coming out of this is what's important about Shinovar, which I keyed into because we're getting a little bit of a history lesson along with this. We realize that Shinovar is familiar to us as humans who are from Earth with you know grass and trees and horses and chickens or whatever they have. Be not because necessarily that Shinovar was that way originally, but that that's the plot of Roshar that was given to humans and populated by all of those things that humans brought with them to become a little piece of, I'll use the term Earth because that's what we're familiar with, not to imply that that's where these humans necessarily came from, but right. a little section of human land on Roshar being Shinovar. That was what they were given. They were supposed to stay there. They didn't. This is starting to put together some of the like the ancient history pieces, and that was really helpful for me. In what world does a tyrant settle for what he's been given? Or is that the Ah, and that was the quote that stuck out to me that I picked my my word for, which was not only what tyrant ever the quote is something along the lines of like what tyrant what tyrant ever stops that says, Oh, I just conquered this nearby country. That's enough. I'm happy. This is good. That's what I wanted. No, there, there's a hunger there. There, there's a, there's a drive, just kind of innate to human beings of wanting more. We're never satisfied. You always want the next TV show, the next book to read, the next, you know, money. You, you get a raise at work, and it, it, it you get excited about it, and you feel good. But then six months later, you, you think, oh, I, I still need more. I'd be, I'd be happy if I got this much. There's just this this lack of contentedness that I think is innate to human beings. And I think that's what, I don't want to imply that this is like a Sanderson belief, but this is what the characters are talking about in this section is that, that drive and how humans were given a small plot of land, but that was never going to be enough. There was always going to give it a hundred years, a thousand years, 10,000 years. There's going to become a moment where humans are going to expand. That's just kind of how humans are. Bridge four walks out of the walks out of the meeting 
and their heads are down and everything like rightfully so they've just learned that the parchment are the original holders of the land that they're standing on and they tell Dalinar like I understand you're trying to do the right thing and we thought we were on the right side we're gonna we're gonna go back to your theory and tell the other bridgemen and we'll we'll talk to Kaladin see what he says about it because he's he can figure this type of thing out we're all this is above our pay grade is what Teft basically tells Dalinar and then they walk off to the oath gate the the reliance there on Kaladin I thought was was funny it funny in like the ironic sense of like they they have all faith in Kaladin I totally get it you know they've seen Kaladin do amazing things they've seen Kaladin make some pretty impressive choices I, I'm not doubting that at all but it, it's just funny how they you know this this huge re- revolution comes down they're like oh yeah that's big but what does Kaladin think about it like, <laughs> that was they can't funny. make they can't make a decision they have to know like what their their leader says about it also whoa that's insane i should i should get kaladin to yeah to interpret interpret it for me yeah Yeah. it kaladin's also been missing for months now right like he went to kolinar he didn't have a span read he they haven't been talking to him he's been missing from kolinar for a long time and they're all like Oh yeah, he's out there. Like they have no no doubt that he's alive, and he will explain everything to them. We're just gonna go back to your theory for now. I like too that in the process of this, Dalinar makes a pretty powerful statement. the The Stormfather kind of looks at him and says, "Well, that was the big drop. You're you're gonna you're gonna walk away from this now." And and Downer says, no, I'm not going to walk away from this. And the Stormfather, I think, doesn't really believe him. He's like, yeah, you're going to at some point. But Downer says very clearly that he wants to make the Knights Radiant a better version of what they were before. They talk about that this is the truth that broke the Knights Radiant of old. This is what caused the recreants that caused the orders of night radiant to walk away. And they talk about how the reason why was because they realized that the powers they were wielding destroyed their old world. And they didn't want that to happen to this world. Dalinar says he takes a different tact. He's thinking at least for now to himself, I'm not going to walk away from this because I'm scared of what it will do to this world. I'm going to keep going with this and do better. I'm going to do this correctly and not let that happen, which is a really admirable and slightly terrifying way to go. Like if he doesn't necessarily realize the full implications of that, then that's a little scary. But I like that mentality. I like the mentality of don't give up, do it better. I do as well. And you know, I, I, I this is this is something I really liked about this and liked about Dalinar. Um, in that I can understand why, but I was a little like surprised. I guess that that was like what made the. Well, actually, actually, okay. I was thinking of it in the context of 
the old Knights Radiant Orders found out this is not their homeland and they laid down their arms, but I didn't think of it in the context of they destroyed their previous world raising refuge, and that makes a lot of sense. I don't know. I don't know. I We've definitely seen our uh, Knights Radiant characters are a little crazy, so maybe if you had a bunch of them, it could very well happen. But I don't know. I... I would trust Dalinar's, like, supervision or leadership here to maintain things, but I don't know. I don't know how you go about destroying a world, honestly. Like, you have to really mess up. There's pretty bad. <laughs> it's a key phrase, a key title word that the Stormfather mentions in connection to destroying their old world. What was it? I don't recall. It's, is that in chapter it's, 113? It's in 113. Elliot, you put it in the outline. Oh. Was it regarding the destruction of the Tranquiline Halls? Yes. Ah. The Dawn Shard. Right? Yeah. Honor Radiant. in his last days t was... This is the words of the Stormfather. He says... My memory is clouded. He created me as a backup plan, and he was ranting about the Dawn Shards before he died. The hint about the Dawn Shards is, I feel like, teasing me a little bit, because it does hint that, that they're important. It also drops the bomb that it doesn't say the Dawn Shards were created to be able to destroy the Tranquiline Halls. No, it says the Dawn Shards were created and they destroyed the Tranquiline Halls, which that's a little bit of a bomb drop if you think about it. Like, we already know that their whole Voran religion, and more than Voran, I think, religions on Roshar are worshiping the Almighty. Well, the Almighty is Honor, who's dead. Does that kind of null and void a lot of those religions? Maybe. We also know that they have this very strong beliefs that when you die, you go to fight in the Tranquiline Halls. I think we just got told that's not a place anymore. So that whole <laughs> belief is now gone. I forgot about that. That's kind of big. Yeah, by the yep. way. Um... <laughs> Heaven got destroyed. Hate, yeah. to, hate to break it to you. <laughs> Yeah, this whole Valhalla thing, yeah, it's gone. No, not a thing anymore. But yeah, the fact that yeah, the Dawn Shards... The fact that the Dawn Shards are a part of all this, now I'm really... I want to know more about these. What are these? What's What are they capable of? What's the novella between Oathbringer and Rhythm of uh -huh. War? Dawn Shards, right? See, I didn't, I didn't know that when I read this for the first time. That title was not released to me at that time so you guys actually get a unique view on that of there's a book behind me called dawn shard which we're going to read not too not too far from the now which brings me to a big point okay so we have just recently seen these mention of dawn shards and i was like what could these be right these are obviously intensely powerful on a cosmic scale So far in our reading, we are past halfway through the series here. 
We have seen, I would say we have actually seen two, I would, I would say we've seen two examples that could be in my head, in my head, like where I'm thinking of this. One is, do they correspond, do these Dawn Shards, like, I don't know, correspond to a god or something? Like, I, one of the examples I'm thinking of is Odium, like, breaking through the canvas of this dream. Like, I don't know, is could he be connected with a power strong enough to destroy the Tranquiline Halls? But what I'm thinking of more is Nightblood. I'm thinking of on the same way of a shard blade almost. Okay. But Nightblood, we've talked about like this is a very different sword. This is not a shard blade. We don't we talked about maybe it's a sword that just has a quadrillion breaths and is uber powerful. But I don't think so. I think I think that Nightblood as well as we haven't seen, but Azure Sword exists in the cognitive realm, isn't correlated to a bond. It's something totally different. I think that they are Dawn Shards. And Trevor made a little crack at me saying, I have figured out the Stormlight Archive. I know it all now. I know how it's, what's going to go down. Uh, Elliot had mentioned before that... There's kind of a little prediction or thought of, you know, we initially, like, in the prelude to the Stormlight Archive, we see about the swords kind of being rammed in the ground and making kind of this, there's this, like, oath pact with the heralds, right? And we thought maybe there would be a redo of that. We've seen a little bit of that just with our characters and, let's say, Zeth being a new order of Skybreaker. I think each of our characters is going to get, somehow, a Dawn Shard. And I think that will be the the complete other tier or layer of power to make a pact with. And either, either defeat Odium or create a new pact that, whatever, has greater significance, greater power, or something along those lines. Um, but... Where are these dawn shards? If if this is if this theory is kind of accurate, that's kind of ambiguous. Um, I've kind of I, I have tried to think about this a little bit with rules, right? Our dawn shards seem like swords; they don't vanish. They kind of just stay in the sheath. Azure has drawn her sword, hasn't she? She used her and sword it's like in a Colonar. shard blade. It's like a shard blade, but it's kind of different. It doesn't, like, sever the soul, right? It doesn't burn out the eyes. I don't know. I'm kind of giving them the credit that they're all very unique and different. If if this is the case. um, Like, Nightblood, we don't draw, right? Like, we don't draw Nightblood. He's going to go crazy. Unless you're Zeth um, and are super cool. Yeah, that's true. I also think of... I thought it was kind of funny. Whenever it talked about the Dawn Shards destroying the tranquiline halls i was like whenever they were made did some guy just like pull out nightblood because he was like oh you should draw me and he was like <laughs> okay and just drew him and he just destroyed the tranquiline hall like just <laughs> oops have it gone <laughs> uh, he's like oh whoops okay oopsies um, don't do that again but 
Yes, I think the dawn. I think that our mysterious swords that have incredible cosmic power. I don't know about Azure's. It seemed underwhelming in comparison to Vasher, but we've never seen. Or in comparison to Nightblood, but we haven't really seen the perspective. We know it is very unique, totally different. Could be a different order of Dawn Shard, uh, Surge Binding. I don't know. Who knows? But that is that is my prediction right now. Which Trevor's going to be like, what about this quote? And new, I'm going to go, dang it. New, new Oath Pact at the end of Stormlight 5, I'm assuming? Yes. Which, and they use Dawn Shards to make it more permanent than the first one. My main prediction is that our heroes will get Dawn Shards to defeat evil. Okay. Either whether that's by a pact or by sheer power of them wielding the Dawn Shards, defeating Odium or something, slaying a god. This is a lot for one mention of one word. Mm-hmm. It is. You're right. I'm with you. No, I, I'm tracking. That that is that's big. That puts a lot of significance on Nightblood, which I'm not going to deny. The Night Nightblood seems like an out of place, crazy powerful weapon. I gotta say. So to attach some a lot of significance to it. I'm definitely not against that. Is Nightblood a Dawn Shard? Oh man, I got to think about that for a while, and hopefully learn some more about. I was going to say you need to define you need to define Dawn Shard first. <laughs> I, I was one thing I was gonna I wanted to add uh, right quick is you already know that somewhere we have seen a Dawn Shard. I'm just gonna make that prediction, and Trevor's gonna be like. Guys, do you think you've seen a Dawn Yeah, but how, but how many have you seen on screen so far? Yeah, exactly. And I'm going to be like, uh, okay. Um, and so, yeah, I, I'm giving a lot of that significance to Nightblood. And also, honestly, this makes me really want to go reread the scene in Warbreaker, right? There's a scene where Vasher draws him, and he kind of just sends up a huge bee, hyper beam, black beam and just destroys everything in its wake and it's just really crazy I would like to reread that now with this context and this idea I have so I'm not sure that Dawn shards are going to be swords if I'm That's honest also with fair. you I, it, it says clearly that they are weapons but we also know or have had some references to like shard plate you know, being a thing like separate from a shard blade. So I'm almost thinking, you know, like, I don't know, some other type of object or even just more nebulous power. That's, I mean, we're talking about destroying a, a realm. Perhaps this is, this is some pretty, as you said, cosmic power. Okay. I want to add one thing to that. And that is, I thought about this a little bit in, and I agree. I was like, Okay, it would be cool if they were all if they're swords, right? But I was like, honestly, we're, that's going a little too hard into the whole sword thing. I don't know. We already have a lot of mystical swords. We have shard blades and honor blades. And, like that's a lot. And I thought about Hoid a little bit here. Hoid. So I don't remember what all he has. I feel like he always has a random object with him or something. And I'm wondering if his like flute that he used for, like, mystical storytelling or something like that. The Kaladin Lost? 
<laughs> I think so. Wait, doesn't he have another one though? He's always like, "Where's my flute?" But uh, that's the Kaladin one, so, isn't it? Yeah. So he gave Kaladin his flute in the Way of Kings, and Kaladin left it in the war camps uh-huh. when they went to Urethiru. Yeah, which is still really funny. I kind of <laughs> forgot about that. But, <laughs> anyways, I was like, I could see like just how mysterious and crazy Hoyt is, and like how much he knows. I would be, I would love to ask him this question. Um, but I, I could see him having some kind of, I don't know, s- storytelling equivalent of a Don shard or like a musical thing. He's always talking about music and whatnot. So who knows? But, but I, I'm saying I could get behind that. They're not just swords or maybe they're not swords at all. I, it's obviously very possible that I am wrong. So not quite yeah. as sure as your light song Shalon theory. Yes, that one was proven. Yeah, true. this one. It, this is an early, early prediction. Got it. Anything else about Dawn shards? We talked way more about Dawn shards than I thought we would. <laughs> <laughs> that's literally. I heard the word, and that's all I like in this episode, and that's all I wanted to talk about when I came here to pot to record. I won't lie. It's gonna be like. So, did you hear they said Dawn shard? Well, Don't you know that means it's Nightblood? <laughs> Clearly. Yeah. I know this is not on the scale of Roshar and Trankline Halls and Dawn Shards, but Elliot, you finally found out who Tara is, and you've been you've been wondering who that is. You wanna dial it back twelve notches and talk about who Tara is? Yeah, let's do a one eighty here and, and talk for Two minutes about the the chapter we skipped over, chapter one twelve, and I I got really excited actually for not really any reason, just that we got a little bit of backstory about who this Tara character is, because Kaladin has mentioned her three, four, maybe five times now as we've been reading, and they're always just those you know tantalizing offhand. Oh yeah, Tara would not have approved of that. Moving on, like. Okay, thanks, Kaladin. Tell us who this is. And so I've been I've been dying to learn who this character is for so long, and we finally get it. We learn that she was not someone of actually what seems like super significance, in that she wasn't you know a, a powerful person. She was just the daughter of a assistant quartermaster in the army that that Kaladin was was serving in, and they they had a a relationship and they they chat and they enjoy time together and they were torn apart by some, you know, just kind of unfortunate circumstances of she moved away to go pursue an opportunity and Kaladin was hurt and never followed up with her. Like that seems to be the entirety of the story right there, which compared to everything else that we're learning, you know, at this point, the story is just such small potatoes, but at the same time, it was, it was actually a big relief to finally learn. Okay. This is who we're talking about. Got it. I feel better now. That's true. Uh, my biggest question about this is why? Why what? or why now? What? Oh, mostly why now. <laughs> I was trying to be funny, but like, I don't know why we are having this Kaladin flashback chapter to see his little high school relationship. So, in the middle of like the biggest and like surprise, I guess, of our series so far. 
Yeah. I was like, well, okay, all right, we're taking it back. There's this book one here, Brandon. There's actually a good answer for this question. It's a good question. Why and why now? Do you do you want to say something before I talk, Paul? Yes. My my one thought is it's going to tie into the fourth ideal for Kaladin. Okay. Um, what is his takeaway from remembering Tara right now? What is he's walk? He's actually he's running. He's running through the mountains towards Thalen City. There's a takeaway in his mind as he's remembering this. She tells him something when they leave. What does she say? It's something about like fight for those who still live or something like that. Kaladin, when will you learn to be there for the living, not just the yeah. dead? Ooh. And this whole time, Kaladin's been holding Tien's rock in his pocket, and that's why he doesn't go with her, because he sees this injustice in the army, stays because he wants to defend those young boys in Amaram's army who are being thrown, basically, as livestock at the front lines. Be there for those who are still living, not just the dead. That's why now. Just wanted to <laughs> answer your question there. So, gotcha. okay. interpret that towards your fourth ideal predictions as you will. I don't know the fourth ideal. I do know the fifth ideal. Oh, so, oh wow. Okay. Become the wind. That's the little skybreakers become law. <laughs> he becomes wind. <laughs> yes, exactly. No, no, no. But I do have a prediction. It's, it's, it's kind of serious. I was actually thinking about it in our last episode. I think because we were talking about the fourth ideal. Um, I think. Make it quick. Ultimate, we don't have that much longer. Yes, 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 yes. I think the ultimate defense or protection for someone that you could have, and I'm assuming the fifth ideal is the highest. I'm assuming there's nothing past that. Um. What I think of is laying down your life to protect others. And I think it will come to a, a head and it will be some form of I will literally give my life to protect those. Uh, my my prediction others. at this point in my reading, my prediction, Paul, was the fifth ideal for the Knights Radiant for the Windrunners is I will protect those who cannot protect my themselves even unto death. That was my prediction for uh, the fifth ideal. Let's go. High five. Okay. Part four. I did. I went like that. Okay. Um, part four of Oathbringer. Huge info dump. We've gotten, we've learned so much about Stormlight Archive and the Cosmere since the beginning of part four to now. How do you guys feel about, we learned about Shadesmar, we learned about the singers, we learned about all sorts of cool stuff. What are you most excited to learn now? What do you think is still included in this book that we need to know? What, is, what are we not going to learn in part five? Just quick zoom out of about part four as before we close. Definitely biggest question. What happened with the heralds? That, well, I don't know if that's been answered or what, but I want to hear Nail talk to Seth about that situation with the heralds he was like i'm gonna tell you what happened leaving talonel yes okay uh, that's that's my biggest thing i can't wait to see it i'm assuming it's gonna be in part five 
So looking back on part four, I wanted to bring back a quick short segment that I've done in the past, but I, I've neglected in the last couple of, of parts of, of Oathbringer, and that's trying to tie together a theme for the part. And, and if I were to try and do that for, for part four, I, I wrote out a bunch of notes for what that, that theme would look like and couldn't quite pin a word on it until, Paul, you said your two words for this episode, and I realized that one of them is it. And that word is misconceptions. That nails it for me. That is the theme of yeah, teamwork here. Good job, guys. Yeah. Of of this part four, because there were so many things that came across as, oh, you thought this is how it went. You're completely wrong. And the things I can put on there are humans existing on Roshar, that that whole big drop we got at the end here. But so much more than that. The, the Radiants were not necessarily who we thought they were. We learned about them. Spren are not who we thought they were. We're learning tons about them as we go to see Shadesmar. Shadesmar itself is not what we thought it was. There's even on the flip side a bit of information in one of these chapters where the Stormfather admits to a misconception. He says, you know what? I missed, I judged the, the Knights Radiant of old too harshly. I thought they rashly threw away their oaths and they were to be judged for that. I see now that they were trying to protect Roshar. And like that process of acknowledging that you were wrong and acknowledging that what you thought was the way the world works is not true and reassessing how you're doing what you're doing because of that, we're having to do that as a reader. Our characters are having to do that in the situations that they are. So that's what I'm walking away from this part from. I'm curious if that's also going to be my theme for the entire book or if something bigger is going to happen in part five. I'm really curious about that. So as we go forward into part five, I'm really looking forward to like what comes next. We just got the drop of Shadesmar is not what you thought it was. Now we're stuck there. We aren't who we thought we were. Do we even have a right to be fighting this war? Like, what do we do next? Are our heroes going to get back from Shadesmar? Is Dalinar going to go to war and have a big old, you know, naval sea battle be the climax of this book? Or is there going to be some big twist and like cultivation is going to show up on the scene and we're going to have a big peace talk? Like, I, where are we going? I'm really not sure, but I really want to at least wrap up kind of the, the story arc we're in. I know it's going to launch us off to a bunch of other stuff and it's not going to like wrap up everything, but kind of a, okay, now what? That's what I want to answer in part five. Not to mention we're meeting the Night Watcher, I assume. Yes, that's on the agenda for sure. Okay. Just a quick reminder on the state of Thalen City right now. Everybody's in Thalen City. The coalition has just fallen apart. Who owned the ships? Mr. Taravangian. Taravangian. Taravangian just told Dalinar literally at the very end of part four, the last page of, I'm no longer fighting alongside you, Dalinar. I mean, we do that from the start that he was going to eventually backstab him like that. But he's telling Dalinar, I'm leaving. Bye. Good luck. See ya. And that might turn into a good thing for Dalinar eventually, but his 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 navy is sailing away right now <laughs> so thank you for 
coming this far with me, guys. Go ahead, Paul. Shard boats. Shard boats. They're gonna make shard boats. You're welcome. Problem solved. Everyone. Uh, okay. Any other predictions from part five? No new ones. Just the ones that we've we've had before. I'm not. Night Watcher, Thalen City, fight, probably. Anything else? Shard boats. For, fourth ideal, shard, shard boats. Okay. Mm -hmm. I never, never thought we'd get here, but we are finally going to start reading <laughs> part five of Oathbringer on this podcast. I am so excited to After read. After these short interludes. Interludes next week, starting part five the week after, so... Thank you for joining me on this journey, Paul and Elliot, and we will keep reading and reconvene next week. Let's go. Let's do it. Wow. Wow.